the Exodus. Uh, we'll be continuing our sermon series in the book of Exodus this morning. We've been walking through uh, the Ten Commandments currently as we've uh, kind of landed there for uh, the time being in the book of Exodus, uh, and we're going to be continuing that, actually finishing up the Ten Commandments this morning. Well, uh, I've shared this a couple of times before, but uh, we, over the last few years, we had an opportunity to purchase the house uh, next door to us and uh, have been trying to fix it up as a rental. We bought it in a tax sale. Uh, we've been trying to fix it up. It's got three units. We've got one unit done. The other two are kind of a disaster. It's fine. We'll get there eventually. But uh, trying to beautify this neighborhood and be a part of renewing these things. Uh, but when I first started working on this house, I all of a sudden, and, and it should have something to do probably with algorithms and all sorts of things, but I started to get all these advertisements for various things uh, on Instagram. And one of them were these things called hardcore shoes. And they were these shoes that were like tennis shoes with steel toe boots. They, were, they had Kevlar on the bottom. You could stomp on nails and it wouldn't go through. They were waterproof and they were comfortable. And I was like, I need these shoes. Hardcore shoes. So I bought a pair. Immediately I felt regret because I looked this company up and it was like, mm, there are no reviews. I think this is bad. I think I got scammed here. Come to find out, there's another company similar uh, called Indestructible Shoes, and these are like kind of a lame knockoff of shoes. So the the company still exists. Hardcore Shoes still exists. And I got on their website, and they have this picture uh, as a disclaimer because the video, like the guy is stomping on nails. And they have this disclaimer that's like, please don't stomp on nails. This is a professional actor. Uh, And it's like, oh, you mean you can't do that? It doesn't work. But literally, when I got the shoes, this is the first thing I did. I hit it with a hammer because it's got this steel toe. Now, it didn't break the shoe, but it immediately ripped the fabric. And I was like, oh, man. I I forgot to bring them this morning. I was going to bring them. They are a disaster-looking shoes. Like, they are terrible-looking right now. I still wear them from time to time. They are not waterproof at all. Uh, I mean, they're just, they're just a disaster. Now, I did step on some nails, and they stabbed it, but didn't go through and stab my foot. So that was pretty good. But this is, this is what we do sometimes, though, right? We see something on Instagram or wherever, and we're like, I need to have that. I need to have that thing. And then you go try and get it, and it never turns out the way you wanted it. But more often than not, it's seeing something about my neighbor on Instagram, whether they're a friend or a celebrity that we follow, and we see their house or their spouse, their job, their life, their body, their hair, their kids, their car, their stuff, and we want it. We want to get it. And we might even try to get it. But then it never quite satisfies, so we go back to Instagram or what I might call covetgram in order to try and satisfy our desire by living through another. This morning, we're going to be looking at Exodus 20, verse 17, the last of the Ten Commandments, which says, You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else. That belongs to your neighbor. 
God's law comes into the midst of our lives and the things in which we interact with and tells us that coveting will lead to misery. Just don't do it. But even with that, we still do it. But God's word tells us that even if we were to get everything that we were wanting, everything that we saw, it wouldn't satisfy. Ecclesiastes 2, 10 through 11 says, Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Solomon, in his wisdom, writing this, had denied himself no pleasure. He took whatever he wanted and found that it didn't satisfy And yet, even if we know this, we can't help but covet, can we? We know that this is true. We know that there's nothing that's really going to fully satisfy, and yet we still covet. We are often like me as a teenager at a cheap buffet. Everything looks good, but it never satisfies. And you don't end up feeling pretty well. (laughs) The problem with coveting is that we take our desires, the things that we long for, and we just look around trying to find them. We look around trying to find a way to fulfill our desires. And what God's word would tell us is that we need to actually look around in a different way, right? Coveting is caused because we're looking around at everything that we see and wanting it, God's word tells us that we need to actually look around a little differently. But we also need to not just look around, but look ahead. And finally, we need to look up. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, looking around, looking ahead, and looking up. Most of the time, our looking around, is, is that's what we've been talking about, right? We look around and we desire our neighbor's stuff. We desire... If anyone's going to experience misfortune, we desire that for our neighbor and not for us. We desire our fortune and their misfortune. Or we desire their life. And that really just causes a lot of problems, doesn't it? James tells us this. James chapter 4 says this. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think that the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Uh, We're going to skip that one. I wanted to stop right there. You see, the reality is that what James is telling us is is exactly what God is trying to communicate to us in the law. That our fighting against one another, our conflict with one another, our cold shoulders to one another, 
It's caused because we are coveting. We are desiring the things that, we have, that the other pe- person has, and it causes conflict with them. What I want to tell us this morning is we actually need to look around at the world a little closer. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. In order to to address how we covet, we actually need to first look around at what God has actually provided for us. Take an honest look at your life. An honest look at what God has provided for you. No doubt we will all face challenges. No doubt some of us are in and will face very difficult circumstances. And yet, there is still evidence that God has blessed you all around you. Jesus says that God brings the rain on the just and the unjust. Now, in uh, a culture or in a climate like Muncie in this current season, we're like, well, that sounds terrible. God, why would you bring rain on everybody, right? But remember, in this culture, in an uh, agrarian culture, rain is a blessing. You can't eat without rain, right? You need rain. And so what Jesus is saying in this is that you actually need this thing and God provides it to the just and the unjust. No matter where you're at in life, you can look around and find some evidence that God has blessed you. We also need to remember, as we look around, that, every, that whatever calling you have from God, whether that's the vocation that you have or the station in life that you're in, whether you're single or married, with kids or without kids, the location you live in, all of these things, every one of these callings comes with challenges and with blessings. Often we covet because we see another person's calling or stuff or position in life and we only look at the blessings of it and forget the challenges. Not often does Instagram uh, show you a bunch of people talking about the really hard things of their life, right? They're showing the blessings of their life. And so often when we are in a position of coveting, when we're in a position of desiring what someone else has and being jealous of what they have and wanting it for us and angry that God has not provided it for us, it's because we're only looking at the blessing that they have, not the challenge that has come along with that calling. Every challenge or every calling comes with a challenge and a blessing. We often do this also because we look only at the challenges of our current calling ourselves and not the blessings of our current calling. The reality is the grass is not always or often greener on the other side. We don't know the things that people have struggled through. We only see the results and we want that thing, but we don't know what has transpired to get there or what they have to endure uh, in, in all of those places in life, and we forget those things. All right, I'll go with you on that, what you might be saying, right? I'll go with you on that. That makes sense. We should probably look around a little bit more carefully and recognize that God has blessed us and that there are challenges that other people face. So if we're coveting something that someone else has, if we're desiring and jealous of this thing that they have, we should probably think a little bit more carefully. That makes sense. But that doesn't lessen the desire that I have for those things, does it? 
It doesn't lessen the desire. What do I even do with that? Even with that perspective. Now, thanks, Pastor Josh. I just feel more guilt that I'm not looking to the challenges of other people and not looking to the blessings that God has given us. It doesn't actually give us any solutions. This is why we can't just look around, but need to look forward. We need to look forward. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 through 6, it says this, It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. He rewards those who sincerely seek him. There's a reward to following Jesus. There's a reward to seeking after God's pleasure. Part of moving away from the jealousy we feel as we look around the world is by remembering that there is a coming day of reward. Luke, Jesus speaks of this often. Luke 6 He says this, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the most high for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. This is kind of a remarkable passage, right? He says, there is a reward coming. You need to act like your father in heaven who is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. So what we are to do is to be kind to those who are unthankful and wicked, to love our enemies, to do good to them. And it says your reward will be great in heaven. There's a reward coming, and it's the whole earth. You know that we will inherit the whole earth. There's a new heavens and a new earth coming in which there will be shalom, peace, wholeness for us as God's people. A place with no sin, a place with no brokenness, a place fully redeemed. And we get glorified, fully redeemed bodies to live in this place amongst God's people without sin. Now, we don't have a lot of details of what that's going to look like. But imagine the best possible solution or the best possible location, the best possible thing. It's going to be better than that. You get the whole earth. Why then do you look around and covet merely the things of this world? You've been given a promise that you will inherit the world. Why do you need to take it now, even especially when it won't satisfy, especially when the things of this world will not satisfy the desires that we have, we need to look ahead and remember that there is a coming day in which we will see Jesus face to face and be in this new heavens, new earth. And in the moments that we feel this jealousy rising up as we see what other people have, we need to remember there's a coming day 
I can be content today because there's a coming day in which I will inherit the world. Philippians 4, Paul says this, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in this present difficulty. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. This is a very popular verse that is not about sports or running or whatever, whatever people use it for, right? It's about being content with having little or having much. Paul says, I am able to be content because of the power of Christ in me, and I've learned this secret of contentment. So I'm able to understand how do I live in a situation which I don't have very much? And how do I live in a situation where I do have much without jealousy and with contentment? Don't you want to know that secret? Right? Because here's the thing. We want to live like that, right? But it's really hard to live like that, particularly in this culture. Unless I'm just significantly more sinful than all of you, I'm guessing you feel the same things. Everything in this culture seeks to tell you more is better. And what someone else has is better than what you have, and you should try and get it. How will we learn to be content with what God has given us? Well, Paul has shared some things earlier in the book of Philippians that I think hits on this secret. He says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ so I really don't know which is better. I long to be with Christ. Dying is gain. See, the secret of contentment is looking ahead. That there's a better day The best day here pales in comparison to the worst day in heaven. Not that there will be a worse day, right? Looking ahead, Paul says, it is better that I die and be with Christ than I have anything here. He is longing to be with Christ. You see, the secret of contentment is longing to be with Christ. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. This word longing to be with Christ, this, uh, where does he say this? He says, so, uh, I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ. This word longing, in the Greek, in the original language, it's the same word, uh, Greek, uh, root word used in the Greek Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, right? It's a Greek translation of the Old Testament that was put together. It's the same root word used for covet, for lust. It's this eager longing. It's the word used in the commandment that we're talking about here. 
this morning. Do not covet. Paul says, I covet for Christ. I long for Christ, right? It's the same idea. This is also the same word used in Genesis 3, describing when Eve looks at the fruit and wants the wisdom that the fruit would give her, longs for the wisdom that the fruit would give her. So this word, which is often used in a negative sense, is now in this passage used as the positive sense of longing to be with Jesus. This is it. This is the secret. This is the secret. The secret of contentment and conquering coveting is longing to be with Christ. The problem is not with the the strength or the passion of our desiring gazes, but with its direction, within the place that we look with these longing gazes. To put it differently, the problem with coveting is not the desires, it's the objects of our desires. We so often miss this. When a desire rises up within us, we rush to push it down, right? Push down the coveting. To push down. We simply try and beat these desires down, right? You, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're like, oh, I shouldn't want that thing. But I have this desire for it, but I shouldn't want it. That's bad. You're bad. Stop being bad. Don't want that, right? Is that only what happens in my head? There's no nodding here, right? Like, do you guys do this too, right? And you're like, just push down this desire. Stop it. Just stop doing that. How's that work out for you? Not very well, does it, right? Because then instantly you're like, okay, I'm good, I'm good. Oh, that looks cool. I want that, right? Like 10 seconds later. We can't, it's why we can't simply look around or even simply look forward because that doesn't do anything for us in the present moment to satisfy our unmet desires. It's why the answer to coveting ultimately is looking up. Looking up. Paul in Colossians says this, you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. This is exactly what we just were talking about, right? What we do when we have a, a coveting desire in us, when we have a jealous desire in us, we want that thing that somebody else has, and we are gonna do everything we can to get it, and we want that, and then we say, nope, you're a good Christian, go pray harder. Go read your Bible. Be content. Like, go just sit alone for a while in the dark, right? Like, just stop looking at those things, right? Shut down your Instagram account. Stay, like, put blinders on as you walk through the store. Just stop looking at every, just stop being around any people. That'll do it, right? Oh, but when I'm not around people, I'm thinking about the things that they have, right? Like, I can't stop it. I'm not going to be able to stop it by just inventing more rules. 
I can invent all the rules in the world, but the problem is not with the things outside and controlling those things. The problem is right in here. And I can't get away from that. I can't get away from it. These rules have no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Because evil desires don't come from anything out there. They come from what's in here. You can't blame your lust on how someone else dresses. You can't blame your greed on how someone else makes decisions. You hate someone else's actions. You can't blame your hate on someone else's actions. And you can't blame your coveting on someone else's successes. Your coveting comes from within. So if that's true... What hope is there? What hope is there? Well, Paul goes on to say, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Look up and desire Jesus. Look up and desire Jesus. This word, or this, this, passage is incredible. For you have died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. You haven't even shown up yet. When Jesus shows up, the real you will show up. The glorified, resurrected you will show up. Look up, Christian. Look to Jesus and desire him. Now, do we desire him because he's so great and good looking? Is that why we desire him? Right? It's interesting, right? This word for desire in Isaiah 53, this is the same word used for covet. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. That word attract is the same word for covet. This is a a prophecy about the suffering servant, the one who would come, Jesus, who would come. We look to him, not because there's something about him according to worldly standards that we should desire, but because of what he has done for us. Because of his radiant character and glory, and because of his overwhelming, soul-satisfying love for you. Has St. Augustine said, you made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it finds its place of rest in you. You see, the way in which we create a desire and a longing for Christ is to actually recognize his desire for us. We've mentioned this before in recent weeks as we, went, uh, as we finished up in Ephesians, right? That there is this husband and wife metaphor throughout the scriptures that refer to the way in which God loves his people. Well, Psalm 45 picks up on this and looks forward to Christ and the church and says, For your royal husband delights in your beauty. Honor him, for he is your Lord. Delights. This delighting, yep, same word for covet. 
What would happen if when you felt desire rising up in you for anything, that attitude, that feeling, that longing when you were looking around at everyone and their stuff, and what would happen if instead you directed that to the fountain of living water who will satisfy your soul? Directed it to the one that while you've been out looking around at everything and coveting everything, the one who can't take his eyes off you, the one who is staring at you, who's enamored with you, who's delighting in you. What if you gazed right back at him with that same longing? Again, what if the problem is not with the strength of your desire, but with the direction you are facing? Christian, look up. Look to Jesus. Look up. Your life hasn't even shown up yet, right? We already read this. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You haven't even shown up yet in all of your glory. Christian, don't be content to covet when you can gorge yourself on glory. When you can drink deeply from the fountain of living waters. Friends, you have access to the one who delights in you, who longs for you with an intensity far greater than you long for anything else. Respond by looking to him and longing to be with him. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're not trusting in Jesus or listening online and not not trusting in Jesus, not sure about this whole Christian thing. I want to challenge you again with Ecclesiastes 2. Anything I wanted, I would take. I deny myself no pleasure. And what was it? There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. It was a chasing after the wind. But you can look up to the Lord Jesus the one who lived and died and rose again for you. He longs for you. He wants to be with you. He desires you. So now direct your desires back to him. And in that, we will learn the secret of contentment in living in life together, being content with what God has called us to and not needing the next thing that Everyone else has because we're so enamored with the person of Jesus who deeply loves you, who cares for you, who is with you, who is for you. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now and we are thankful for your grace. We are thankful for the way that you are near to us, for the way that you have come near to us in Jesus, for the way that you long for us. And Lord, we are weak, broken, fallible creatures who long for everything else. God, would you just direct our hearts to the place in which you satisfy the fountain of living waters, the person of Jesus. And would we be so enamored with who you are 
that it would transform everything about our lives. Jesus, would you do this for the sake of your glory and honor, we pray in Christ's name, amen.